When I fall, I got parachutes. 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 What you gonna say? What you gonna do? What you gonna gonna say? Is what they say true? And all these questions, I make sure I am still on top. And all these questions, I make sure this train is hard to stop. No matter what I say or do, no matter the song or two. It's me you cannot drop. I'm in a parachute up in the sky. I, I'm in a parachute. I'm soaring by. Parachute. I'm soaring by. When I fall, I got parachutes. Politicize every song I sing. Tell you about a reality. You're living in a virtual reality. You're sucking on the tit that feeds you lies. Getting screwed by a system of ties to our demise. We are blamed. Why blame us? That's insane. All we know is pain. Control us for 300 years. Our epitome of fears in a machine that broke us. Made us get out of focus. Preacher told us stop that hocus pocus. Look what we had. Our culture was just a fad. What they didn't still do is sad. It makes me mad. Why be racist? It's made us faceless. Made us into your slaves. Land slaves for your wage. In this first world country, you're the entitled. Repeat and recycle. Put more money in guns. We make war to be free. We make war to be free. Are we really? Giving Welcome to our giving brand new show, arm. Wake the F Up, Thursdays, 11 to 11.30 on UMFM. My name is Karan and I use he slash him pronouns. My name is Christina. I use pronouns she and her. So what are we enraged about today, Christina? We're enraged about many things, but uh, today we are so inclined to talk about intersectional feminism. Which Oh, my favorite kind of feminism. Me too. So this is an important starting point for really anyone's understanding of feminism. This is the feminist theory that, unlike any uh, feminist theories that preceded it, was able to accurately describe the complex way in which our society uh, dissects and breaks apart people and in these certain they, it divides them into categories and it's how our society quantifies people so intersectional feminism describes that people are broken down into categories of race class sexuality their ability in terms of mental or physical their age and uh any type of way that a person can be considered by your society abnormal is uh, described under the umbrella of intersectionality. So, Right. And I think it's extremely important to recognize people's intersectionalities. And, and I also would like to recognize that that's, that's the ideology that we um, adhere to, I guess. And we're going to be, most of our feminism is going to be based on intersectional feminism. And um, the reason why it's so important to recognize this, um, it actually kind of goes back to the whole history of intersectionality and the term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Big ups to her. Oh, yeah. And um, I think the history about it revolves around an African-American woman whose name was Emma, I believe. And Mm -hmm. she was suing a or she took a car manufacturing company to court because they wouldn't hire her. And the judge overruled saying that, well, there's no discrimination here. We hire black people and we hire women. And I, I think the judge just didn't want to see that 
the black people that were being hired were men and they were being used in uh, all sorts of labor work and um, anything that had to do with heavy lifting and all of that. And all the women that were hired were white and they were more so for the face value, quote unquote, for the company. Mm -hmm. And they were just receptionists or secretaries and not to say that those are demeaning jobs, but those are all that women were. That's what they were hired as. Yeah. That was the expectation. That's all all they were confined to, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah, there we go. And it was just this double discrimination, really, that was taking place. And the judge refused to see that um, because black women were nowhere to be seen. And that's when Kimberly Crenshaw came up with this term intersectionality. And it's so important to recognize all all identities when we talk about just issues of assault or racism, uh, homophobia, transphobia. We Mm -hmm. need to look at everyone's intersecting identities. And it's very important to do that. I didn't actually know that bit of history. Like, I knew that it was Kimberly Crenshaw who started, you know, of course, a black feminist. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't know that bit of history. So thank you for sharing that. No, of course. Yeah. Um, I I do know that, like, it was introduced in the third wave of feminism, which was, well, for a bit of background, the first wave was right around the start of the 20th century. And then there was the second wave. And then in the third wave, right around like the 70s and 80s is when we had intersectional feminism, like all that literature began. Crenshaw coined the term and then began writing about it. And many feminist authors subsequently followed to describe our society in this the most accurate way that we've really seen so far. So in terms of describing what it is, I'm going to kind of focus on how race, class, and sexuality play into it. So essentially, when we talk about each of the things that are defined under intersectionality, you have to acknowledge who is considered normal under society's terms, under the the common narrative. And then you have to you have to observe how people are othered from that. So people who are quote unquote normal are the people who are within the circle of power. So cis, heterosexual, white, middle class men, able-bodied. So anyone who is outside of that and the more outside of that they are, the more marginalized they are. So in terms of race, if you are white, then you will not be oppressed for your race. You will not because that is who holds the power. That is just considered the default mode in our society. And actually pretty much most of the world. And then if you think about class, people who are middle class to upper class, of course, hold the most power and power translates into material goods for people like your class. Like if you are of lower class, then that literally translates into less material Mm -hmm. property for yourself, which that's a bit of a Marx explanation there. Kind of touching on like socialist theory there, which definitely um, Yeah, which is also very important. And then sexuality. So heterosexual is considered the default heteronormativity. Everyone is just kind of assumed to be straight unless defined otherwise. And then if you fall outside of that in your sexual orientation or your sexual identity. So if you're outside of the binary man or woman, then you are marginalized. And furthermore, of course, if you are a man, you are not marginalized as women are. So again, white cis heterosexual middle class men are the ones that are in power so however these characteristics come together however they come together and intersect in a given individual will 
create this image in terms of how the world perceives them and how they have to uh, negotiate that in terms of how they understand themselves and how they present themselves to the world and basically grapple with. So, for example, if there's a cis lesbian woman who is of lower class, then she will experience marginalization due to being lower class and being a lesbian because she is not a heterosexual woman exactly yeah and there's we could go on and on about how these various things play out and examples up the wazoo but yeah and we can we could literally go off about our own intersectionalities and how some factors oppress us more than others for example i'm a brown male so i experienced some racism there just slight racism and christina is a white woman so Mm. Uh, we could unpack her privilege and my male privilege for days, but yeah. uh, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just want to ask, Christina, why are we talking about this? What pertains to intersectionality? Yeah, totally. So, And thank you for bearing with me on that explanation there. I know that this is something that we know through and through, but there are a <laughs> lot of people that... I really don't understand it. I find that with, in terms of, like, I really wanted to talk about how intersectionality plays out in our day-to-day lives, because it's one thing to talk about the theory and what that looks like. But in terms of how it looks in our lives, and not just you and I, but everyone. So I find that there's this massive obsession with trying to simplify people Mm, and breaking apart people into components and just perceiving them by their you know tokenizing people and well here's a good example i don't know if you've ever heard of lesbian comedian who wrote nanette hannah gadsby and she said this in her show which is on netflix by the way and i absolutely recommend how she's always introduced as that lesbian comedian and she breaks it down in her own piece quite well actually she's like well if you look at my day-to-day life I actually spend much more time doing not lesbian activities. I spend much more time, for example, cooking. And that's not to say that I'm a professional chef or anything, but I do spend more time cooking than I spend lesbianing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's how she says it. I'm I'm just kind of paraphrasing. But you don't see her introduced as that chef comedian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. What's the disparity there? Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that's a good illustration of how we're defined under these terms. Essentially, the way that it breaks people apart, I really just kind of want to hash that out. So there's been instances in my life where I will be defined under these terms and it has absolutely nothing to do with how I perceive myself, of course. And, you know, we all have experiences like that, but I'm just going to refer to a specific example. Like I remember when I was in high school and I was working at Tim Hortons, there was one day where like a bunch of like elderly men who always sat at the Tim Hortons, like they called me over and they wanted me to clean the spill off their table. So I go over there and I cleaned up the spill with a cloth and they're like, oh, you would make a good housewife one day. And I'm just like, uh, oh, no. Okay. Uh, thanks. <laughs> that is a weird thing to say. That um, is a weird thing to say to someone. It was strange. And I wasn't even a feminist yet at that point, but I was already just like, I really? Like, is that a compliment? Yeah. And then in the same day, I would go back and I would be working with my coworkers and we would do some carrying around in the back or some lifting or something. And then my friends would be like, oh, Christina, you're so strong. And I'm just like, nice, cool. And it's just... You know, that's and that that made me feel good. And that's something that I care about. I care about being strong and I don't care about being a good housewife. And, you know, that's just a really, really small example. And when you think about how that happens over and over 
and it happens more and more the more marginalized you are the further away you are from the definition of cis heterosexual able-bodied middle-class white man Mm -hmm. the more that you have to deal with that and that can really like that's inherently damaging to a person's self-identity it just it just wears you down and it's repetitive yeah definitely because the amount of times that i've heard people describe me especially when they don't know me and how people just talk to one another and they're like oh yeah my friend care whoever blah blah and people are like oh wait i don't actually know that guy and then someone will be bound to say oh that indian dude Mm-hmm. And that's all my identity is reduced to, you know? Yeah. There's not a lot of conversation about what I do or what I'm taking. No one will be like, oh, that guy you sit next to in political studies class or in that intro to uh, comparative politics class. Yeah. It'll be like, oh, that Indian guy, because that's that's the what they see. To them. That's the, yeah, that's a visible ident- identifying factor, right? And mm-hmm. it's I'm just tired of it, really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I, I get it. I do get it. But it's like if, if I'm going to be called that Indian dude, then why aren't white men like what about the other things that you want to be identified as what about the other characteristics that are important to you and how you want to be perceived as like i see you as like that awesome feminist guy who does like however many student (laughs) groups and and that's (laughs) how i would like to be identified as but i guess for now i'm just gonna be stuck to that indian dude which Mm -hmm. is is not negative in any way Mm -hmm. i'm fine with that i embrace my indian identity but Mm -hmm. again you don't want to be reduced to it that's not it yeah that's not the end of the story And, you know, even and I think it's very important to also talk about things like assault when we talk about intersectionality, because we often tend to not recognize how just things like homophobia or transphobia or racism, sexism, Mm -hmm. all of that play into how we perceive assaults that are or acts of violence that Mm -hmm. are committed Mm -hmm. against people. Yeah, Um, they have real life consequences, these ideas like it's not just how it affects how a person is perceived. This has real life consequences for people. Mm-hmm. This, when we talk about, and just like a little heads up here, we are going to be talking about rape culture and you know sexual assault here. So just a heads up that that's something we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes. The people who are more othered and who are more pushed to the margins are much more likely to be victims of violent crimes and much more likely to be victims of sexual assault. And, you know... I mean, when you, quote unquote, other people, Mm -hmm. um, you are basically dehumanizing them, right? Because they're not human enough. They're subhuman. They're not human enough to be given the same treatment that you would to, for example, a cishet white man. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just easy. And it's all in the statistics, really, because even when I deliver these workshops. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're doing. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Karan is uh, currently facilitating some consent workshops on campus. Right. And and in those workshops, we we have these statistics that we talk about and that we go over. I mean, we also usually tell people that before you look at these statistics, please keep in mind that these are real people yeah. and not just a number. Yeah. And to just read off a few of uh, statistics, few of the statistics. And this is this is the one that I start with because this is such we're literally in the epicenter for this phenomena of missing and murdered in- indigenous women. Fifty seven percent of indigenous women have been sexually abused. Wow. Just think about that. Fifty seven percent. Like <laughs> how ridiculous is that? Yeah. 
have you half. have you ever heard That's of the case of Helen Betty Osborne? Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. For those of you who don't know, um, Helen Betty Osborne was a woman, I think, I believe in the 70s. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it sounds about right. And it was in the PA. Um, yeah, it was, I think it was where the trouble, assault yeah. took place and mm-hmm. four white men were involved. And I'm not going to go over the details of this uh, assault because it's horrible. It's it's not something that I am uh, emotionally capacitated to read off or anything because no. it's so gruesome. Mm-hmm. But she was uh, sexually assaulted. She was raped and she was murdered. Out of the four people, only one person was sentenced to life and one person was protected by the law. One person was never charged. One person was only acquitted or something like that. Yeah. And and it's just ridiculous how much we um, how much our justice system just breezes over these cases of assault. Yeah. Especially when it's pertaining to indigenous women, because they're just insert slur, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to most people. And the reason we need to talk about these issues, especially regarding sexual assault and intersectionality, is because statistics also say that two out of three Canadians don't understand what consent means. Yeah, I remember I read that this morning and I wasn't surprised, but I'm also never happy to read that. Of course, because you don't want to live in a world where that's the reality, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And like with Helen Betty Osborne, um, that's... You know, that's one case. We know her name, Helen Betty Osborne. But that is Look just at Tina one, Fontaine. That is just one. Yeah. And Tina Fontaine. These are just a couple names of this like Abyss. nationwide like sickness and, and, and of it's our just, country. It's just ridiculous. Now, some of the other statistics are one in two transgender individuals are sexually abused or assaulted at some point in their lives. One in two. Wow. And And again... To give a little more context, we are both cisgender people, mm-hmm. and this this is not something that we're, we're often worried about. To I don't be assaulted, have to. I don't think that I'm gonna be like. I don't think that I'm gonna be misgendered ever. I don't have to worry about the repercussions of that ever. No, but for trans people walking out the door, especially if they don't have passing privilege, which passing privilege is that's a trans person who, uh, quote unquote, doesn't look like a trans person Mm -hmm. um if they have passing privilege then they won't be targeted by strangers but if they look quote unquote look like a trans person then they're so much more likely to experience these crimes committed against them definitely and even looking at other statistics when we talk about the lgbt2sqia community 26 percent of gay men and 37 percent of bisexual men experience rape physical violence or stalking by an intimate partner and think about that we often say that how boys will be boys and men will be men and they'll always want sex and they'll never be sexually assaulted or abused by any anyone ever because they'll always like it right yeah but here are the jarring statistics of intersectionalities that we we don't talk about because i don't know are i guess gay men are not worth people's time i don't know i don't know what the reality is yeah that's but these are stuff (laughs) these are statistics that we never talk about because we don't have to oftentimes we don't have to face these issues right yeah and it just becomes so much more real when it happens to someone we know or to us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely yeah so in terms of why are these people experiencing so much higher of these crimes to describe rape culture a little bit 
the way that this works out is, you know, at like if you formulate this as a pyramid, which there's actually like if you Google rape culture pyramid, this is like an actual sort of diagram that explains it. You know, at the very top of it, you'll see stuff like sexual violence or just physical violence, assaults. And then as you go down, you'll see actually, Karan, I you have it right there. So I'll let right. you explain. Right. So. The way the pyramid works is it has four tiers. And, and again, this is this is subjective, I guess, and people can um, take it the way they want to. But this is kind of how I like to explain it and I, I like to see it. In the bottom tier, we have victimization. So, you know, things like rape jokes or homophobia or transphobia or the whole boys will be boys or... The things that people brush off. Yeah, victim blaming. You know, why was she wearing that skirt? Why was she out at, late at night um, just mm-hmm. by herself? She was basically asking for it, right? Mm-hmm. And when we don't talk about these issues, when we don't address these issues in their root causes, they lead to the top tier of of rape culture, of the pyramid that is rape culture, and lead to more explicit, explicitly violent forms of assault and those include but are not limited to mm-hmm. things like rape incest battery mm-hmm. and murder and yeah. and we 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 need to stop these things uh, in the in the bottom tier because think about how many times you've heard of the joke oh that exam totally raped me <sighs> yeah yeah i've heard that one a lot actually. even in yeah. university and i'm surprised that i have yeah. and the reason why we need to n- just not say things like oh well it's not a big deal right they're just jokes like whatever dude don't the fact that it's so widespread is what makes it the problem like that's that's the important thing of this pyramid is that that's the base of the pyramid everyone being complicit and okay with hearing these kinds of jokes like the exam raped yeah because let's let's deconstruct that joke that exam raped you okay you you think that was funny all right now think that you said that in front of a survivor exactly and they're expected to laugh along. Otherwise, they're creating some kind of discord. They're the ones that should be blamed for they're causing They're the discomfort. party pooper, right? They, exactly. And and everything should just be taken with a grain of salt. And you should just laugh along and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But that's not the reality. And again, that that's what leads to these explicit forms of violence. Is because if this is okay, a little more is okay. A little mm-hmm. more is okay. A little more is okay. And then rape is okay. And then murder is okay. Mm-hmm. And then assault is okay. Yeah. And suddenly we don't care about women anymore. We don't care about these people that are survivors and these people that are literally dying Mm -hmm. because we don't want to really address someone being um, called the F word or someone being Mm -hmm. outed for being a trans person. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I am pretty ready to talk about a counter narrative to that. That is some heavy stuff right there. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. That is... It's really, really difficult to talk about. And I'm so glad that we did. And it's important that we're able to talk about this. But the nice thing is there are ways to combat this. So this is, you know, we just described rape culture. And what we're doing to combat that is something called consent culture, which we have a couple minutes left here. But uh, Kran, do you want to kind of explain a bit about consent culture? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So consent culture is literally just creating a culture of consent. Mm -hmm. Normalizing it. And normalizing it because this is not something that again we we don't just want it to be present for acts that are sexual in nature Mm -hmm. we want this to go with everything and every aspect of your life because consent is mandatory everywhere can i name an example yeah go Uh, for it yeah recently i uh spoke with some friends and she told me that she went on a date with a guy and at the end of it he 
asked if he could kiss her and she was like oh but that was kind of weird like you wanted to be spontaneous but i was like i would love if they asked you want to normalize that because you know that's not been the normal thing but if you actually normalize that asking you can get used to it pretty quickly and then you can just be really confident that that has been explicitly stated you know you're not imposing yourself on somebody else just normalizing asking checking in and getting affirmative responses and that's what we talk about because so many people are just I don't know, weirded out by the concept of consent, I guess. And and that's one of the biggest problems because we don't talk about sex and consent the way it should be. Oftentimes when I'm presenting and I say that, okay, well, we've gone over the basics of consent, that it's active, that it's voluntary, it's uh, ongoing, it's mm-hmm. mutual, it's uh, affirmative. Specific. It's, it's specific. Informed. It's informed. Yeah, it's, it's no one else is giving consent for you, et cetera, et cetera. When mm-hmm. we go over the basics of consent, and we go to this video that I want to credit NYU students for. Um, they've made a really good video and they talk about sex the way it should be talked about, right? Mm-hmm. When I just say that, oh, we have a video coming up, people are often quick to say, oh my God, is it going to be that tea video or is it going to mm-hmm. be that cycling video that explains consent? Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. We sugarcoat sex. We sugarcoat all of these issues that are so stigmatized and we really need to be talking about it the way they should be talked about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we don't want people to think of consent as something that is this, uh, well, sign here and here and here. And okay, Mm -hmm. now we can have sex or now we can engage in this activity. Yeah, we integrate it into normal conversation. And uh, and what is the alternative? Rape culture? Are we okay in living in a world where we normalize rape? Mm -hmm. Where we normalize other forms of assault? Exactly, yeah. I think the F not. It's time to (laughs) wake the F up. Yes, yes. There we go. And this is not a conversation that we're going to stop having today just because we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. But we're going to continuously talk about this. We're going to continuously talk about how this affects us as students, as people, and how our campus is entrenched in rape culture. And we need to change that. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, we're just going to see a rise in disclosures and reports and you know sexual violence is something that is not even reported often and mm-hmm. we need to change that yeah we need to make this campus more survivor centric we need to yeah. make this campus free of survivors there shouldn't be any survivors exactly because this shouldn't exist in the first place exactly. so we're not done here but Mm-mm. catch us next week talking about sexual violence sexual assault and more heavy things because we are pissed off yep We are furious and we need to be able to talk about these things. So tune in Thursday, 11 to 11.30. Wake the F up. I'm Christina. And I'm Karan. See you next time. I will stay strong and hold on. It won't be too long till the storm passes. Then the rain dries just like the tears in your eyes. Life can give you a surprise, bad and good, and in the hood, the pressure is high. I understand the pressure you had, man, you was our dad, lost a child, I can't imagine, left a wife, bills were racking, four daughters, a mother and a brother, we still love you and still get blue, but I know how you would want us. It's hard, it still haunts us I stay strong not cause of me I stay strong for those who love me I'll never commit suicide even if I wanna die Till I'm old in the land of ice and snow I know where I will go I will thrive, I will strive Most importantly I will survive